Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Thanks, Jamar. Y'all can have a seat. If you have kids this morning, we are keeping our elementary age kids. So that's, uh, what is that, first through fifth grade, sixth grade in the service this morning. Uh, there's some activity packets if you want to grab one of those. But I know you guys, you elementary kids can hang, right? Like, you can, you can follow the scriptures and you can take some notes and you can ask me some questions after the service. Because adults never do that. They know everything. They don't have any, no points of clarification, but if you want to ask me any questions, I would love that after the, after the message as well. Um, if you have kids that are uh, kindergarten and below, there is um, service, or there is uh, classes for them this morning. Um, just real quick, I'm just curious, for those of you that are here, uh, you can answer this online as well, but uh, how many of you do make it a habit this time of year to set some new goals for 2022? Just, just a, a brief scientific poll of our church. Okay, so by my estimation, maybe 35% of our group? Okay. The rest of you are good, right? Like no need to change anything up, no need to rock the boat. Uh, I actually start making goals like in December uh, because I start thinking about the goals that I should have made, you know, that I didn't keep, you know, the previous months. So I start thinking, okay, what are some things that I just want to some new habits I want to create, some new habits I want to break, uh, and those types of things. How many of you, just uh, another uns- uh, unscientific poll, um, part of your goals in the new year have to do with your spiritual walk? Maybe you want to spend more time in prayer, you want to read the Bible more, those types of things. Okay. I appreciate the honesty. Uh, my, wa- my son and I, last year, at this time, we started a, a Bible reading plan together. How far do we make it? Do we make it till the end of February? <laughs> and part of it was we picked a pretty bad reading plan. It was so, it, it has jumping around so much that nothing felt like there was any continuity. It was like, right, yeah, we had to read four in four different places in scripture. Not that any of that was bad, but it just, it didn't feel like we were really like digging into the word enough. Uh, I want to encourage you if you are um, interested in starting a Bible reading plan, um, there are some really good ones out there. Um, a lot of uh, Uver- if you have the YouVersion app on your phone or Olive Tree app, there's some great, um, great reading plans. And I would even encourage you, uh, instead of starting with, with one that's like super intense, start with something small. Start with 30 days in, the, in Proverbs. You could read, you know, or 31 days. You could read a proverb a day. Uh, or start with Psalms. You just read three Psalms a day and you get through the book of Psalms. Because building new habits, especially as it, as it relates to faith practices, um, when we start to do it in an attainable way, then it can kind of multiply from there. It's like eating healthy or working out or anything like that. Well, this morning we're gonna um, we're gonna look at a, a, a book of the Bible uh, from uh, a passage from Second Timothy, chapter one, and we'll look at verses three through eight. Um, one more one more plug before as you're as you're turning to Second Timothy, um, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. Uh, from 6.30 to 8, we're gonna be, uh, I'm going to be hosting uh, kind of a brief class on how to study the Bible. Um, many of you know this, but the Bible is not a flat book. 
It was written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years in three different languages, original languages. Uh, It has the genre of poetry and prophecy and narrative and historical narrative. There's letters, which we're going to read one today. And so understanding these things helps you really understand how to read the Bible, how to study it for yourself. And so we're going to make that class available, not again, not this Wednesday the 5th, but the next, the following Wednesday from 6.30 to 8. So if you or some of your friends are interested um, in kind of learning some about some more of how the Bible is put together and the different literature genres and things like that, I encourage you to, to attend. Let's go ahead and read this together, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Or sorry, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 through 8. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. God bless his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we ask this morning as we look at this passage of scripture and as we consider the year that has passed and the year that is to come, the events that we know, the events that we don't know, Lord, I pray that you would center us on your gospel this morning, the good news, the news that changes our lives, that has reunited us with your heart that speaks to our identity, that frees us from our sin, that gives us hope and purpose. Father, would you speak that good news to us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, The passage we just read is from the book of Timothy. This is a letter that was written by Paul, the apostle, to a young church leader named Timothy. And as we just read, we get some glimpses of what is happening with Paul and what Timothy is wrestling with. And we, our hope this morning as we look at this passage is to, to understand it in its original context, but also to ask God, what are those timeless truths, those transcultural truths that apply to us today in the times that we live in? Um, you know, when I, when I was thinking about myself and, and as I was reflecting on this year that passed and the new habits I want to develop and um, the year ahead in 2022, um, I, I began to think of why is it so challenging uh, for many of us to, to create new habits or to break old habits? What is it about us inherently that makes maybe for some people that's easier, for some people that's harder? And the truth is, we're all composite people. We're, we're made up of different things. Our, our physical bodies are made up of flesh and bone, water and blood. And when I think about myself and I look at myself in the mirror, you know, many of my features are composite as well. I have some from my mother's side of the family who was, has strongly Polish genes, Sapansky. 
And there's a joke if you, if you are from the Midwest, especially where a lot of Polish immigrants live. If the, if the last name ends in ski, S-K-I, then there's Polish roots there. So I have part of who I am is, is, is reflected in, in my mother's um, family line who immigrated here from Poland uh, in the late 1800s. Um, Part of it is from my father's side, the Fouché side. And in fact, uh, as I get older, I notice that my hairline is looking a lot more like my dad's hairline. Um, my sense of humor is also a blend. It's a composite. I, I think I, I find myself saying the exact same things I remember hearing my dad say when I was a kid. And my cheesy sense of humor is definitely from my mom's side of the family. But I'm also different than my family lines. I'm, I'm actually taller than any of my relatives on either side of my family. I'm more athletically inclined also and played a lot more sports, especially growing up, than any of my relatives ever did. You know, when we think about ourselves, there's many things that shape who we are. And you're probably thinking of some of these things right now yourself about who you take after. There are things that shape who we are both in body but also in soul. And, and many of us spend a good part of our life trying to find out who we truly are. I actually find that fascinating. That you can live for decades on this earth and still not quite know who you are. Some people, uh, they're actively trying to find that out. Uh, We have in our culture things like personality tests, which are meant to identify traits in your personality and in, in who you are strengths and weaknesses. So many of you, uh, maybe in in the last couple of years, you've heard of this thing called the Enneagram, which has really become really popular. And why is that so popular? Why is it so interesting? Well, because we want to know who we are, how we're wired, why we react the way we react, why we're interested in the things we're interested in. So many of us pursue these things to, to fully understand who we are. Some don't care at all. But they're still passively being told who they are. If you aren't intentionally pursuing it yourself, you're you're receiving inputs. So if you go to public school, now more than ever, public schools have taken it on themselves to impart values more than just education. To impart identity, even, more than just scientific fact. And so our children in schools, they are being told who they are, who they should be. And whether kids want to know that or not, they are passively receiving that. As an adult, you are being told constantly who you should be and how you should be wired just by the very nature of commercialism in our world. Every commercial has a message to you. It's a small sermon. It's telling you, you need this thing. You need to be this way. You need to care about these values. So whether you're actively pursuing this desire to find out who you are or you're passively receiving it, all of us are being shaped and have been shaped by these things. So all of who we are is is a composite. It's made up of many things, of our DNA, our upbringings, our experiences. But for all of us in this room and many of us online, there's also something else that speaks to who we are. That's our faith. Out of the relationship that we have with God, we learn who we are. Something about ourselves in light of who God is. And this is why reading the Bible is important. It's not a scientific manual 
or even necessarily a specific handbook for life where you can just flip through every circumstance and situation. But what it is, is it's a story of the character and nature of God and how he reacts and relates to his creation. So in reading God's word, we learn something about ourselves as we learn about God. And so as believers, we believe that God created us on purpose. Do you believe that? And so if God created you and me on purpose, then that means he knows us better than we know ourselves. Better than any personality test or any cultural movement or values that can be imparted. God himself looks at each one of us in this room and at our homes online. He says, I know you. I love you. I created you. And I know every terrible situation you've been in. I know every heartache you've experienced. And I know how that has shaped you and caused you to react and caused you to be formed. And so if that is true, that God knows us, he knows who we are, then he should be our starting point for the goals that we make, for the purposes that we have in this life. You know, my faith in God has, has, leaned, has made me lean into who he's created me to be, but I still on occasion find myself thinking, what's my purpose? What's my, what am I created for? What am I here for? No matter what I got and how I got it, whether it's from my mom's side or my dad's side or my own experiences, my own mistakes, what is my purpose? And just like my physical makeup, there's, uh, the answer to this question is, can often be composite as well. So right now in my life, in the season I'm in, as a, as a husband, my purpose is to love my, life, my wife very well. The Bible says, to serve my wife like Christ served the church. So that's one of my purposes. I'm also a father. And so my role as a father is to love my kids as well, but it's even more than that. It's to instruct them. It's to train them. It's to discipline them. Because one day, my children, they'll always be my children, but they're not going to be under my care. And so my love, my discipline, my correction shapes them, hopefully in a positive direction. Another role that's composite, part of my composite, is I'm a pastor. And so as a pastor, it's my job to, to encourage, to equip, to teach, to lead people to follow Jesus. Not that I have all the answers, but God has put me in this role in this specific time in my life to be this person, this, to, to follow in this role. And above all of those things, one of my foundational pieces of my identity that never changes whether my kids live at home or whether I'm a pastor or not, is that I'm a son of God. And as a son of God, it's my role is to bring glory to God. That, mean, that is to make him known, to point to him, so that others might also know him and also know their purpose. So this time of year, most people naturally ask a subset of the question, what's my purpose? And this, this kind of sub-question is this. So what now? 
what now? 2022. Some of you, you know what now. Tomorrow, you have to go back to school. I'm sorry about that. Public school starts back up, or homeschool starts back up, or wherever you go to school. Some of you, it's work. Well, what now is I got to go to, to my job tomorrow. But, but bigger than that, what now? What is, what is something bigger and more core to who you are? This is a good question to ask because I think when we ask what now, it, it shakes us out of our apathy and our complacency. Uh, our, our what now, uh, it helps us diagnose our needs and our brokenness. After, we've been, after I've been eating beef and cheese for two weeks, my what now is to lessen that a little bit, to take some more walks, you know, work out a little bit more. So when we ask this question, what now, it's a, it's a self-diagnosis question. We're saying, what's the next thing for me? And as Christians, our what now is bigger than just asking ourselves this question. But as Christians, our what now, when we bring it to God, is then giving him permission to speak into our lives. And so I want to encourage you in the year 2022 to not just make your goals and your resolutions a self-diagnosis or a self-help type formula, but bring it to God and say, God, you created me. You know my brokenness and my baggage. You know my strengths and my weaknesses. What now? What now? And this is a question we've been asking a lot in the last couple of years through pandemic, through racial strife, through political division. What now? What now? And and our eyes are easily turned to to other places than God in that time. The passage we just read this morning, while it was written specifically to a a young church, a young church leader named Timothy, uh, by his mentor Paul, it's for us still. And in this exchange, we see an answer to the what now question that Timothy had. And in the answer, we see a truth that applies to every generation of people who have been reconciled to God through Jesus. A, a little bit of a brief background on Timothy. If you're not familiar with him, you, you know there's 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, maybe that's it. But Timothy was a young church leader in the pretty significant city called Ephesus. And Timothy was appointed by Paul to be a church leader in this city. So he's a young man. And what we know is from what we just read a moment ago is that Timothy's faith was not taught to him by his dad. It was not imparted to him by his Greek dad. It was given to him first by his mother, but that faith was given to his mother by his grandmother. So Timothy is a third-generation believer that has been imparted to his faith. His faith has been imparted to him by his grandmother and by his mother. Another thing we also know with Timothy as he's leading this church is there's a lot of false teaching in the church. There's a lot of things that sound kind of good, kind of religious, kind of Christian, but they're wrong. And so they're destructive. And so Paul is writing to encourage Timothy to how to deal with those things. And along with this false teaching, there's also a disconnect in the church between belief and behavior. There's a lot of people in in the church in Ephesus that nod to Jesus and the ways of Jesus and they live 
completely at odds with the holiness that Jesus asks his followers to walk in. And so Timothy's navigating that as well. And oh yeah, just in case you missed it, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy because he's in jail. And he's not in jail because he had a speeding ticket, you know, that he's driving those, that chariot too fast down, down the Roman's road. He's in jail because he was ministering the gospel. He was sharing the gospel. He was living out his faith. And so now he's in jail. So with all these things in mind, Paul is challenging. We see this in just the very first uh, verses of this letter. He's, he's challenging Timothy not to pull back, but to lean forward. And why would he be challenging Timothy to do this? Because Timothy's not leaning forward. In fact, Timothy is afraid. Timothy's got some fear issues. And, and we know this isn't just a, because Paul's now in jail, his mentor's in jail, or just because things are just now tough. This has probably been an issue with Timothy for a long time. In the first letter that he wrote to Timothy, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, Don't let anybody look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and purity. So Paul's already been trying to encourage this young leader not to be timid, not to be afraid. And so he comes back to that again, and he opens up this letter to Timothy saying essentially the same thing. Whoops. Let's look at that again. He says, For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So Timothy's what now, what Paul is trying to get him to, to, to consider, is being clouded out by fear. Fear. Fear does a lot of different things in our lives. Fear is very powerful. Many of the isms of our day are powered by fear. Racism, sexism, narcissism, powered by fear. Racism, oh, those people that are different than me. They have a different skin color. They come from a different culture. I don't like them. Why don't they like? The root of it is fear. Sexism, oh, men and women, they need to be kept separate and, and, and they need to be treated differently and they need to be othered. Why is that? Because of fear. Narcissism, I don't need to even explain that. I mean, the root of it is fear. Fear is powerful. You've heard probably the phrase in marketing for years that sex sells, but fear does too. Our media thrives on it. If you were to pull up a, a news media website and all of the headings of the articles were good news, you probably wouldn't read very many of them. If all of them were good news but one was bad news, that would be the one that you'd be drawn to. What terrible thing is happening? What thing do I need to be on guard against? What thing do I need to protect myself from? Fear is powerful. Proverbs 29.25 says this. It says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. This idea of fear of man is that you care more about what other people think 
than about doing the right thing. That was clearly not an issue for Paul. That's why he was in jail. But Timothy was wrestling with this. What would people think if they found out I'm a Christian? What would people think if they found out that Jesus is the only way and that I believe that? What would people think? Fear is powerful. In our lives, the power of fear is seen most clearly in two different extremes. There's a spectrum here, obviously, but the two extremes that fear plays out in our lives. One is fear as motivation. The reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because I'm afraid if I don't, then X will happen. Fear can be a powerful motivator. Now, this is different than telling your kids not to touch the stove because they're going to get burned, right? That's a healthy fear. But an unhealthy fear is if I don't do these things, people won't like me. If I don't accomplish these goals in my life, then what will people say about me at the end of my time? Fear as motivation. The other extreme is fear as paralysis. Fear keeps us from doing anything, from going outside of our homes, from trying anything new, from starting any new habits. I'm too scared to do it. I'm just going to stay put. I'm not going to change anything. Fear is motivation. Fear is paralysis. Chances are, in this room, some of you can relate to one of these extremes. You can think about your life and how fear has motivated you to do things in an unhealthy way. Or how you've given into fear so much that you haven't done what you know you should have done. You haven't pursued that relationship or you haven't taken that step at work. You haven't put yourself out there because you are just afraid people might see you. For Timothy, fear is keeping him from fulfilling his calling. So fear is not his motivation. Fear is paralyzing him. Let's look at this again. He says, for this reason, he's talking about, he had just been talking about his faith. And he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In other words, Paul recognized this gift in Timothy and commissioned him to use it He says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So what's the issue for Timothy? Well, it's fear, and we see that right here. He's timid. He's ashamed. Timothy's fear is keeping him from fulfilling his calling. So Paul says, Timothy, your faith lives in you. If it didn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But it does, so I want you to ignite it, to reignite it, to fan it. Because God's spirit is in you. His Holy Spirit gives you power, power to love, power to do what is right, power to lean in, brother. God is with you. 
This image that he uses of fanning into flames. Some of you have fireplaces, you know what I'm talking about. Like when you light a fire and the, the wood is just starting to catch, but you're like, I don't know if it's going to be strong enough to light that log. What do you do? You start to, you blow on it. You give it a little bit of oxygen and it, it stokes the fire. It ignites the fire. That's what Paul is reminding Timothy. You've already got what you need. God is with you. His spirit is in you. You have gifts that he's given you. Just give it some oxygen. Just blow on it a little bit. Let it, let it work. Use it. So how about you? As we enter 2022, what's your what now? What's your what now? If you find yourself somewhere on the, the spectrum of fear between motivation and paralysis, then the most important thing for you to do as you start 2022 isn't to, uh, to lose weight, to learn a new skill, or, or make, even make some drastic change in your life. No, I think the very first thing that we need to do as believers in 2022 is if the flame of the Spirit has started to diminish in our lives, we need to reignite that flame. Let's listen and see how this might look. Because Paul doesn't stop there. He gives some further encouragement to Timothy. Pay attention to what he says here. So again, he says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet, this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Amen. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I often read it in monotone. So that's why I'm, I'm getting into it a little bit more as I'm reading this. Because this is what Paul wanted to convey. This is what he wanted Timothy to see in the face of his own timidity, his own fears, his own uncertainty. Remember who you belong to. Paul is in prison and he doesn't care. He's not ashamed of that. In fact, he is suffering. And yet even in his suffering, he sees the power of God. It wouldn't be long after this letter that Paul would die. But in a famous word that he said, better to live for Christ. Or it is better to, if I can live, great, for Christ. But if I die, that's also gain. And so Paul is reminding Timothy of the truth of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus and how it changes things. So Timothy's fear would might might be put in the right perspective. Paul wants Timothy to know that the antidote to fear is a rekindled faith that leads to trust. And this is why he says, 
I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. I know who God is. I know what he's given me. I know that his promises are true. So church family, go ahead and make some changes in the new year. Get rid of some old habits. Start a Bible reading plan. But if you really want to walk into your purpose as you enter 22, your what now has got to be centered on the gospel, the good news of Jesus. That his righteousness was given to you and to me without anything that we did to deserve it. That our identity is secure in Jesus. Nothing else in this world can shake that or take that from us. Timothy had the gospel. He knew this truth. But Timothy, as a church leader, even preaching the gospel, his fear was still keeping him from fully using the gifts that God had given him. None of us are immune to that. So I find myself wondering two things. The first thing is, do you know how God has gifted you? Teenager, retiree, do you know how God has gifted you? The other question is, if you do, how are you using those gifts? Oftentimes, uh, I come from a, a charismatic background. I used to think of them as uh, the gifts of the Spirit. I used to think of them as like some sort of superpower. That's not what we're talking about here. But what we are talking about is a Spirit-empowered gift that I believe every child of God has, every son and daughter. I want to encourage you in this new year to ask God about that if you've never done that before. I mentioned earlier personality tests, and sometimes those can be very helpful in us understanding what our strengths and our weaknesses are and pointing us to those gifts that God has given us. And so uh, on our website, there are two uh, very Christian-oriented ones that I would um, point you to. If you go under our resources tab, and then you'll see a, a tab that says grow, there's a couple resources that you can walk through that kind of like a survey to help you uncover your strengths and your weaknesses. Uncover maybe who God has pointed you or how God has wired you and what he may be pointing you to engage with. And then I would encourage you to ask others to be in relationship with each other because the truth is for Timothy, his gifts were recognized by the body of believers. Paul prayed for him and released him into that, but clearly the people in the church saw those gifts as well. So for Timothy, his gift was that pastor-elder role. But there are many, many other gifts that are part of the body that are vital to the church and to the mission of God and to who you, he has created you to be. And so as we look at the year ahead, our what now pushes us to remember that the Christian life is a cooperative work with God. Christianity is a team sport. You're not alone in this. That's why the family of God is so important. 
Paul, this is why Paul says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so what Paul encourages Timothy to do, we should be encouraged to do today as well, is to live with an awareness of the Spirit of God with us. The Holy Spirit is God. He's not the force. He's not the, uh, a feeling that you get. The Holy Spirit is God with us. Jesus, before he left the earth, he says, I will send you the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit, as believers, is with us. He gives us gifts. And the first gift that God gives us all is the gift of his grace. You are just more than just a random composite being. You are chosen, redeemed. You are called son and daughter of God. Your sin has been forgiven. Your identity has changed. And your life is secure in Jesus. This is grace. This is the favor that God gives us. But then it's out of this grace that God then gives us his spirit. The Holy Spirit then empowers you to use your gifts to reveal something of himself to a broken and needy world. This is your purpose. In fact, you and I can't ever fully live out our purpose apart from knowing the one who made us. We can never live out our purpose if we don't know God. And so as citizens of heaven, what we bring to our what now is that God is with me. God is with me. So do you work uh, in the tech field or do you work as an engineer? God is with you. Are you a a stay-at-home mom? God is with you. Are you a student? Are you retired? God is with you. His Holy Spirit is with you. What you do is not devoid of the Spirit. You don't have to stand on a platform with the Bible in front of you to be used by God. Every arena, every space that you're in, God has ordained. God is not surprised by it. Even in your suffering, God is not surprised. And he is with you in that. Timothy needed to be reminded to fan the flame because he was forgetting that the Spirit of God was with him. So I'd encourage you, at the center of the good news of Jesus is that because of the grace of God, you can experience the presence of God right now. You say, well, yeah, I'm in church. No, I don't, I don't mean right now. Yes, but right when you leave. Later, if you're watching football, when you have an argument with your spouse, when you have a tough time at work, you can experience the presence of God right there. For the people of God, there is no dividing line between the activities and vocation that God cares about and those he doesn't care about. He cares about it all because he loves you. So my prayer this year is that you would participate, that you would join God in what he's called you to be, where he's called you to, to display something of him, that he would show you, if you don't know them already, the gifts that he's given you. And then you would participate with him by fanning those into flame. If we all were to resolve to do that as a church, I can't imagine the stories that we'd be telling a year from now. 
Stories of how God did this thing at work, and I didn't ever think that God could do anything at my work. How God did this thing in my family where I thought brokenness was too big and too hard to deal with, and God did something of restoration in my family. I didn't think that was possible. That in my old age or in my poor health or in my inexperience, God could use me? Yes. Imagine the stories we could tell if we were all to take these words to heart. And I pray that we do. And so as we close uh, today, as we end our time in God's word, the words that stuck, struck me so, so much were these last words from, uh, from Paul. He says, I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And what's that thing that's entrusted to God? Our very lives. Wow. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that, that Paul's words would be our words this morning. I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him until that day. Lord, that our lives are yours. And we desperately need to hear you speak into them. We need to know who we are in light of your love and your grace in our lives. So would your voice speak louder than any other voice? The voice of fear, the voice of the culture, the voice of our own brokenness and sin. May your voice ring louder than those. And may we hear it say, my beloved, my son, my daughter, I am with you, with you in your brokenness, with you in your joys. So, Lord, may our what now be with you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.